This podcast was produced on the lands of the Wurundjeri and Wadawurrung people and we pay our respect to their elders past and present. Hi, this is Ingridopedia, a food fight podcast, but instead of burgers and pies, we sling weird and interesting food stories. My name is Ben Birchall and my co-host is Emily Naismith. Hello, Em. Hello. Today, we're fighting about tuna. Yes. You can smell us from 10 kilometres away. <laughs> um, are you a big tuna guy, Ben? Uh, I'd say medium tuna guy. It is yep. a pantry staple. It's a yep. lazy person's food of choice. So there's always uh, one of those small cans of Serena tuna in yep. olive oil in my pantry. Yeah, nice. Well, I'm still healing from going too hard on zesty vinaigrette as a student. I was obsessed um, I did it to the max and I'm in recovery. Well, what, wait, zesty vinaigrette is a style of... Like, oh, yeah, it's of, a style of John West tuna. I right. couldn't afford Serena at the time. <laughs> now Serena is my preferred tuna of choice. Um, so, yeah, I dabble in tuna, but I don't eat it straight out of the tin. Okay, okay. Well, uh, maybe that's something that's worth fighting about. Yeah, let's fight about it. So, I love a vintage recipe especially from the 60s or 70s, mm-hmm. wild time for food. Um, We're talking about the banana candle here, aren't yeah, we? Yeah, yeah, the banana candle. This this is on par with the banana candle, I'd say. Um, I came across one called Ring Around the Tuna. Yeah. Um, do you want to take a guess at what that could be? <laughs> I'm going to guess it's tuna formed into some sort of ring shape set in aspic. What's aspic? It's that... Um, that meat jelly that, okay. that they loved in the 70s. Everything you are is set in really aspic. close. You're really close. <sighs> it's technically described as a beautiful jewel-like entree salad for your luncheon or buffet table. Luncheon. They loved a luncheon. <laughs> yeah. It was published in 1962 in a cookbook called The Joys of Jello. And so, <laughs> yep, it's a tuna salad suspended in jelly. Mm-hmm. Not this meat jelly you speak of, just lime jelly. Yeah. Just sweet, sweet lime jelly. Um, So this lovely congealed salad is made from lime jelly filled with flaked tuna, Mm. onion, cucumber, celery, tomato, and stuffed olives. Um. (laughs) I just had just an involuntary. I think I had stuffed olives in my my fridge for about two years after I made the... Uh, liverwurst pineapple oh, yeah. in episode four or five of this What's podcast. wrong with stuffed olives? Well, the, the liverwurst pineapple was so disgusting oh, that okay. I just, I get, I just, I had an yeah. immediate visceral reaction when you said stuffed olives. Yeah, fair. It sounds like a nightmare. Um, so, of course, I made it and I brought it along to, oh, for you to try. Oh, no. Okay. Before we get to that, um, I just want to say it was actually so fun to make. Like I'd never made a jelly with stuff in it before. Okay, yep. So you make the lime jelly and add some salt, vinegar and grated onion. <laughs> <laughs> then you chill that until very thick. Mm-hmm. Then you stir in the tuna, cucumber, celery, tomato and stuffed olives. Yep. Now it didn't say what the olives should be stuffed with. So I took it upon myself to use anchovy stuffed olives. <laughs> I'm because sure they meant pimento. Oh, well, it can't get any worse. <laughs> okay, no, I guess not. <laughs> and then you pour that into your jelly mold and let it set. Okay. Okay. So. Okay. Let me get the jelly out. Okay. 
Um, sorry, it's wrapped in tin. Oh, it's car safe. Okay. Okay. Yeah. Good. So, good is a strong word. <laughs> so to describe how it looks for everyone, mm. um, I've used these cute old-fashioned jelly molds, so it looks very cute to me. Yeah. Um, but it also looks radioactive green. Yeah. And it's translucent, so you can see all the wonderful tuna and assortment of veggies inside, and which is nice. I think it looks like vomit in snot. <laughs> is that... Am I... That is... That's true. Yeah. Um, okay. So I've made a little um, TikTok video about it if you want to see the process of making it. Look for Ingredipedia on TikTok. And my hands... Just side note, my hands um, smelt like lime tuna onion and um lime jelly tuna and onion for like a whole day and like i have a very um dull sense of smell but that really all those three things came yep. through yeah yep it's so okay emily's handing the fork <laughs> over to me for some reason <laughs> okay mm, okay oh make sure you get a chunk with tuna in it yeah Okay. Compared to how it looks, it tastes actually pretty good. Are you serious? In comparison. In comparison. <laughs> I think it looks very good and tastes disgusting. Like, I couldn't swallow it. Um, well, I swallowed it. <laughs> you really oh. had no choice. <laughs> oh. I mean, it's got sweet and salty. It's got... Uh, yeah, it's got the umami of the tuna. Yeah. Tomatoes are pretty heavy on umami. Yeah. The tang of the lime. Mm. Kind of should work. It's well balanced. It's very sweet though. Yeah, but that's that's probably for a 1962 American palate. Yeah, okay. Um it's probably Well, I mean, I've got four more in my fridge. I should have brought them all in. Yeah. Okay, I'm I got it. I will say I'm not eating any more. Okay. Um, but I thank you for making it. No worries. Emily, if I say tuna casserole to you, what ingredients come to mind besides tuna, obviously? Um, I guess, I don't, I'm not sure exactly what it is, but I guess cheese, breadcrumbs, maybe some pasta. Mm -hmm. Is that, am I thinking of the right thing? Well, that's what I'm trying to figure yeah. out. And so I'm trying to figure out whether the tuna casserole that I grew up with, that my yeah. mum, Gail, who's been on the podcast before, um, made for us when we were kids is that normal tuna casserole um i did a bit of digging and i went to the supermarket and there was like an end display you know that they do the what's for dinner tonight end display that's paid for by the company in this case it was uh legos the um they make pasta sauces it was the legos tuna bake display that had um a legos creamy garlic tuna bake i'm still i'm still processing the <laughs> jello thing and that made me feel pretty viscerally sick as well um there was also like egg uh sort of sh pasta shells tin corn uh tuna and then this jar of weird creamy garlic sauce mm. that's not that's not what i grew up with as as uh tuna casserole i'll tell you what my my family's tuna casserole what, what gail's tuna casserole recipe was uh it was a layer of rice okay a layer of tuna tinned flaked a layer of sliced boiled egg. Right. Bechamel sauce. Yep. 
cheese and then something crunchy on top. Uh, sometimes a little surprising what, what goes on top. So I, I took it upon myself to make that last night. I didn't bring any in. And it doesn't keep. It doesn't travel well. Yeah. And also uh, one of my kids ate all the bechamel sauce off the top. <laughs> um, but I did road test it with the family. I just want to share with you the results. So first of all, I tried it with my 10-year-old. Walter. Okay, Walter, I've got some questions for you. Do you like rice? Yes. Do you like eggs? Yes. Do you like tuna? Yes. Do you like bechamel sauce? Yes. Do you like cornflakes? Yes. Okay, so um, give it a try, Walt, and see if you like it all together. I don't not like it. The combo is a bit weird. Mm, cheese and egg and rice. Sorry. No. I would say that with Walter, it didn't go well. Um, there, there wasn't any uh, enthusiasm about having it again. Um, so I thought I'd try it with Maggie, who's three. Let's see how Maggie went with it. Do you like your tuna casserole? Yes. What do you like about it? Um, uh, toast. And jam. Hmm. And peanut butter. Okay. And what do you see in your tuna casserole? Um, nothing. Yeah. Didn't quite get the brief, Would but voted with her spoon, ate the whole dish, asked for more. Wow. Walter put his aside, did not finish it, ate the bechamel sauce off the top, which is why I don't have any for you. Um, I was a little surprised they didn't like it. I grew up just hoovering it down. Mm. It's made for children's palates. It's made of, of all the things that they like, including some crunchy cornflakes yeah, on top. Yeah, the cornflake topping surprised me, but, I mean, they're not that sweet. Like, I think it would work. No, it yeah. just, it's just gives it that, that you know, um, that corny crunch. Um, I still haven't figured out whether anybody else in the world eats this version of tuna casserole. Um, and I don't really know how to break it to my mum that Walter doesn't like her tuna yeah. casserole. I think maybe he's like at the age where he knows like what things shouldn't go together and it's just like no cereal and tuna and eggs don't don't match. Now that you put it like that, maybe he's right. <laughs> okay, so I want to talk about Subway and mm. their tuna subs. Are you, do you frequent Subway often, Ben? I, I actually, I do. Really? Um, yeah, it's, it's a bit of a, there's a train station that I frequent uh, on the way back from, uh, you know, I've got a pretty long commute these days, mm. Footscray Station. Sometimes I get trapped there for a while. There's a Subway there. The, there's lots of other good food in Footscray, just FYI. It's the close. <laughs> With the people of Footscray are like, the market's there. Yeah. The best bad me in Melbourne. I know, I know, but like if you've got 20 minutes stuck yeah. on it, yeah, sometimes I go to Subway. Okay? Mm-hmm. All right? Mm-hmm. No judgment. I thought this was a safe a place. Judgment, yeah, a lot of judgment. Okay. okay yeah. um, my personal experience with Subway is that I've been once and had such a traumatic experience that I have never returned. Really? Yeah. It's not good for people with anxiety that need to make quick decisions. Yeah, they okay. have no idea what they're doing. Yeah, okay. And 
end up with chicken with tomato sauce and it's disgusting and you just never want to think about it Did ever again. The sandwich artist didn't help you? They didn't? No. I find no, them usually would... pretty good at walking you through the options. It was busy. I was anxious. It was <laughs> okay. a lot. All right. Fair. I Fair. was, I was, I was um, a teenager. So okay. that, in my defense. All right. um, so this story is about Subway in America. So I think the website Eater put it best with this headline. Welcome to Subway, where the bread is cake, a foot is 11 inches, and the tuna isn't tuna, allegedly. (laughs) Allegedly. (laughs) So something's fishy here. Last year, the Washington Post reported that Subway's tuna sandwiches are actually made of, quote, a mixture of various concoctions, none of which are tuna, (laughs) but are blended together to look like tuna, allegedly. (laughs) Just going to say allegedly after every (laughs) sentence so I don't get sued by Big Sandwich. (laughs) Yeah, I think the uh, Ingridopedia Corporation lawyers are going to be busy after this one. (laughs) Um, So according to a lawsuit filed with the US District Court, um, the filling is made from anything but tuna. Multiple lab samples of the filling allegedly found no trace of tuna nor any fish at all, although they don't say what was found in its place. So this duo are suing Subway for fraud, intentional misrepresentation, unjust enrichment, and other claims under federal and state laws. So obviously Subway denies these claims, saying they use wild-caught tuna in their sandwiches, and on its site it lists the ingredients of tuna salad as flake tuna in brine and mayonnaise. So the New York Times got involved and commissioned testing of fish samples from three subway locations and found no amplifiable tuna DNA of the five tuna species for which it tested. Subway says the Times report is false. So there's been a lot of back and forth with the lawsuit and I think it's still going because in July this year, a US judge ruled that Subway can be sued over its 100% tuna claim. So... And that's the latest article I could find on the Subway Tuna Wars. So I shall keep our listeners updated Mm. with any developments via Instagram. Breaking news. Yeah, it's Ingridopedia on Instagram. Okay, staying with the sandwich theme. Emily, you've eaten a tuna sandwich before, not from Subway, obviously, because you've only had a chicken one that had tomato sauce (laughs) and it gave you lots of anxiety. But you've eaten a tuna sandwich. Yeah, I have. Have you had a Hobbs Bizet? No. What is it? Okay. Uh, I also hadn't eaten a hops bizet until a little over a year ago when a little slice of Maltese heaven appeared in my hometown of Torquay. Uh, I can say that now because I've been there for 18 months or something. Uh, a deli and sandwich shop called Mortar Deli. Uh, the, the chef and mastermind behind it is uh, a guy called Jake Cassar, who's a Maltese Australian. Um, and so while the deli is kind of broadly Mediterranean, this is a particularly Maltese sandwich. Uh, you ask what it is. It's essentially uh, a really delicious tuna sandwich. Um, It's got a bunch of stuff in it. I might let Jake describe it for you because I went there yesterday. I ordered a sandwich and had a little chat to Jake while he made it. So let's hear from Jake. All right. Thank you, Jake, for for talking to us about the Hobbs Bizet. You're opening a can of tuna at the moment. (laughs) Serena... In oil, is that the tuna that you always use for the hops? That is. It's the best tuna. Uh, what what makes it the best tuna? I can't really answer that question. It's just the best. I've tried them all. Um, I don't know. It's just got, like, maximum flavour. It's, it's 
meaty. I don't know. Yeah. There's something about it. Um, tell me about what else goes in, in the hops. Well, what, what does hops gazette mean in, 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 in my... It actually hops? means bread with oil. Like, it doesn't even mention tuna. Yeah. In it. Um, but... When you order a hot spaghetti in Malta, you're going to get a tuna sandwich. It's, yeah, so yeah. It's, it's pretty much always tuna. Yeah, um, yeah, pretty much. Like you can kind of get like kind of like med veg, marinated vegetable kind of vibe, but it's rare. Okay, you're pretty much going to get a tuna sandwich. So what else? What else goes in yours? <laughs> oh, first of all, you need to have the right bread. Yeah. So um, you need like a. Maltese people call it a Vienna, but it's like a, a fluffy pasta dura, so crusty on the outside, fluffy in the middle. Instead of, you basically use this stuff called conserva, which is a Maltese, like, tomato... It's like a cross between tomato paste and a tin of tomatoes, and it's smooth It's quite and, sweet as well, isn't yeah, it? Yeah, it's, it's sweet. Um, it's a, but it's a very Maltese ingredient. Um, so you kind of use that like butter. Um, and then crumble up your tuna. They're so different in Malta, like all the flavours are different, but we do um, olives, capers, eye pickle, red onion, which is kind of rare. You don't really get that in Malta. I made that up. So. <laughs> um, fresh parsley, salt and pepper, but you've got to douse it in a lot of olive oil and that kind of soaks through to the, all the tuna and the flavours. Yeah. Um, and then I put my touch on it and put salted, grated salted ricotta on top, which again, not traditional. Okay. It's a little Italian touch, I guess. Um, how many how many hobs have you eaten in your time in, in Malta? And... <laughs> Too many to count. <laughs> um, a lot. Yeah, a lot. And um, how long did it take you to refine your your hobs? I don't know. It's kind of just that's that's the way I've made my hobs forever. I, I, I think when I like started here, I um, I added the addition of the salted ricotta just yeah. for something different. It's very rare you'll get like a cheese in. A multi sandwich over there. Um, and what's the reaction like from from customers? Well, to to begin with, I wasn't even going to put it on the menu, and then I couldn't find the right bread, so it wasn't going to go on the menu. And then because we're Maltese, I'm like, I need a Maltese dish. And then I was going to do it on sourdough, and my sister's like, No way, you will offend so many Maltese people. So it never happened. And then I found the right bread, and then I just thought like. No one's going to order it, and it's probably our most popular sandwich. You don't get that at Subway. You don't get that at Subway. You might get that at Subway in Malta. I'm not sure. I haven't <laughs> been to Malta, or, nor ordered a Hobbs Bizet there. I, did, I was mispronouncing it the whole time. Jake's too nice to correct me. Um, but, yeah, it, it is, as he describes, like on, on paper, kind of sounds like it would be all right. It is the best sandwich. Fluffy bread, sweetness of the conserva, big, thick chunks of Serena tuna in oil, capers, salted ricotta, balance of flavours, fresh parsley. They're massive. <laughs> um, uh, my mum and dad get one to share. Uh, is, is their common, common lunch order. Um, if you are in Torquay, I do recommend the Hops Bizet as an absolutely optimal tuna delivery mechanism. Better than jelly. So I'm very excited. <laughs> I've got some vegan tuna here to try. Okay. Um, before we crack that open, I wanted to ask whether you dabble in any vegan alternatives of meat products, Ben. Uh, I don't. Um, I, I don't. I don't. I'm not like diametrically opposed mm. to them. It's just, you know, I, um, I, I haven't really tried that many. Mm. Yeah, well, some of the vegan sausages now are pretty good. They used to just taste like cake in mm. a bad way. Yeah. Um, 
and I do like plant-based bacon that can actually get really crispy and taste good. Okay. Um, and I'm kind of interested in this whole category because for like sustainability reasons, mm. but um, it's like, yeah, I reckon it's the future. Um, like the global meat substitutes market is like at $5.88 billion now. And in like six years, it's going to double to like $12.3 billion. So it's like huge. So vegan tuna, what do you reckon it's packaged in? I think you've seen it um, <laughs> by accident. Some... <laughs> I forgot this was a question. <laughs> <laughs> some sort of box. Yes. Okay. Yes. That's it's a box. Wrong. And there's no tins here. Oh, no, that's right. Um, <laughs> So this is about the size of a pizza shapes box, I'd say, a bit thinner. Yep. Um, it looks very modern, very cool, mm. I'd say. Minimalist, yep. kind of designy. Yeah. Yeah, there's been like a whole heap of design into this, obviously. Mm -hmm. um, so the brand is Future Farm. It's a Brazil it's a Brazilian company. And its products were launched in Australia in May this year. Side fact is that the CEO of Future Farm in America is the former president of Red Bull in America. Hmm. I just find that super interesting because they're like obviously poles apart product-wise, but then they're also quite similar as in they're like in that kind of pioneering-ish new Ch product Challenger space. brand. Yeah. yeah, I guess that'd, that'd be the link. Yeah. Um, so there was only one box left at my supermarket. It was slightly damaged <laughs> and I grabbed it. I've been saving it for now, so I've never tasted it. Oh, okay. It. So this is where both have Yeah. Okay. So we can have a little taste. So right. open it up. Okay. It's in a pouch like yeah. astronaut food. Yep. Yes. That makes sense to me. <laughs> um, you can have your jelly okay. tainted for. <laughs> <laughs> Must I? Still smells like lime. <laughs> Oh, okay. That's more. Um, I just opened it up, and I it's kind of more yellowy orange than I expected. Okay. I've been getting my sense of smell back over the past two weeks, and it smells like tuna. Mm. You can probably smell it from there. I'm trying to see the color. Yeah, it's colorful. Is it? Is it flavored? I don't think so. Just. No. Mm. No, it's just tuna. Just tuna. So okay. All right. It looks... Okay. To, oh, so my pants are great. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you. It kind of looks like it's in oil. Maybe like... looks a bit... Yep. Soy saucy. All right. Are we um, doing this? Yep. Um, nah. <laughs> I'm, uh, yeah, it's, I, I'm just, I'm, it's not unpleasant. No. It's just not particularly, it doesn't quite pass as tuna no. for mine. It's spongy. Yeah. In a way yep. that tuna isn't. Yeah. Um, but I mean like the smell, like that yeah. smelled like tuna to me. The that was amazing. The taste is pretty close and the yeah. smell is definitely close. Probably the smell of like a tin tuna is not the best thing about no. it though. You wouldn't That's say. true. Like it is the flakiness <laughs> and the, and that yeah. kind of. Yeah, would you get sent protein. out of the office for eating this at work? Possibly. They should have made it without the smell. You would think that they would maybe tone that part down and then work on the work on the flakiness a bit more. Mm. And I actually we, like it. We're eating it in a pretty unforgiving way, like straight out of yeah. the packet. Like mix that up with some mayo, yeah. some vegan mayo and some 
spring onions and squeeze a lemon. Mm. It'd be totally doable in mm. a sandwich. It's it's just it's pretty. It's it's yeah. It is spongy, um, and yeah, the the smell is accurate, but also mm. maybe that's not not an I accurate it, smell you want. I find it easier to eat out of the out of the packaging than mm. tuna. Yeah, because tuna's like can be quite dry. Yeah, this is true. Um, so yeah, if you were gonna go a straight tuna, then that, that's a good option. Um, can we talk through any of the ingredients? Yes. So there's water, vegetable protein, concentrated soy protein, concentrated pea protein, mm. chickpea flour, olive oil, natural aroma. Okay. <laughs> okay. <laughs> Salt, color from powdered radish. Something that I can't pronounce. Microalgae oil with DHA. I guess that's because it has like um, the good things that tuna has, I think. Okay. Oh, yeah. yeah. Like omega-3. Okay. So I guess that's so that. Put that in for the... Yeah. Yep. Sugar, onion, and antioxidant. Okay. So I reckon like that sounds pretty healthy to me. Yeah. It's not like... It's like random chemicals and stuff. No. Um, so you're going to stick with the real stuff. I'm going to dabble in it. Okay. Um, We've got like a whole yeah, I've got sachet of it to get through now. Well, interestingly, the price. This is only 150 grams. It costs $6. Mm-hmm. You can pay like $2 for 185 grams of tuna. Yeah. But I guess if you are vegan and you want tuna, then yeah. you'd, you'd pay anything, wouldn't you? Would you pay anything? Mm-hmm. So you wouldn't, uh, you wouldn't pay nearly $2 million for a tuna then? A little bit out of my price okay. price range. And you wouldn't, but somebody has. This is from an article from Smithsonian Magazine. I feel good being back at Smithsonian. <laughs> I think I did like USA Today or something last last episode. Uh, it's called From Cat Food to Sushi Counter, The Strange Rise of Bluefin Tuna uh, by a journalist named Alastair Bland. Um, so, yeah, the, the article says, In January, a single bluefin tuna was purchased by a wealthy restaurateur in Tokyo for nearly $2 million, which is something of a publicity stunt yet indicative of just how much the modern sushi industry values this creature. The bluefin truly is probably the most prized and valuable fish in the world. You've seen a, like a bluefin tuna. Like most tuna yeah. that we get canned is <clears throat> albacore tuna. Sometimes uh, you'll see yellowfin in, in shops. Like bluefins are like yeah. the, the big monster ones. No, I saw them in the fish market in Japan and it yeah. was quite confronting. Well, they're quite bloody. It's very mm. red flesh. Um, and for that reason, it wasn't always valued um the the beef red flesh many say is smelly and strong tasting and historically the collective palate of japan preferred milder species like the various white fleshed fishes and shellfish still popular among sushi chefs in fact tuna was commonly called nekomatagi meaning fish that even a cat would disdain Uh, and and in fact before the 1970s in the u.s where where bluefin were often caught for sport because they're big impressive fish you hold them up and you look you look impressive um they were often caught and then thrown away, like thrown into landfill or um, ground up into pet food. Um, side note, dogs shouldn't eat tuna is something I learned this week. Okay. Um, there's a high concentration of mercury in some tunas, not all tunas. Um, so look into it. But if you are like on the reg feeding mm. a dog tuna, don't do that. You didn't find that out by Minnie eating the tuna casserole? No, Minnie did okay, not eat good. any. Uh, yeah, no. Um but, you know, she's a small dog and I'm glad that we haven't been feeding her tuna because uh, it can not be good for them. Salmon, okay. Tuna, not good. Anyway, I digress. Um, so redfin tuna was known, as, as, the, as the article suggests, as cat food or like garbage. Um, 
the dramatic turnaround in its fortunes um, to now being worth $2 million a fish uh, began in the early 1970s. Beef had become popular in Japan and the national palate was now more appreciative of strong flavours and dark flesh. So bluefin tuna became a desired item. Um, so that's one factor. There's two more factors. One is refrigeration. But the other one that's interesting is um, was also about this time in the early 70s uh, that cargo planes delivering electronics from Japan to the United States and returning home empty began taking advantage of the opportunity to buy cheap tuna carcasses near New England fishing docks and sell them back in Japan for thousands of dollars. So planes would go overloaded up with Sony stereos. Right. They'd be like, well, we can't, we don't want to send the plane back empty. They'd fill them with this fish that was still not worth much in the United States back to Japan where they would pay handsomely for them. Um, According to Trevor Corson, author of the 2007 book, The Story of Sushi, bluefin tuna is an amazing example of something we have been made to think is an authentic Japanese tradition. Really, it was a marketing scheme of the Japanese airline industry. Wow. Who would have thought? Yeah. Um, yeah, changes in refrigeration also sped along their popularity. And by the end of the, the 70s, the species had become a delicacy. Uh, the popularity spread back across the ocean and soon Americans developed a taste for bluefin meat. By the 1990s, the bluefin tuna was wanted almost desperately worldwide. And this is where the, the story takes an even darker turn um, because, uh, yeah, we've overfished bluefin all, all over the world. The Atlantic species has crashed from rapturous water thrashing abundance to scarcity. It's been estimated that a mere 9,000 adults still spawn each year in the Mediterranean. A British scientist named Callum Roberts estimated that for every 50 bluefin swimming in the Atlantic Ocean in 1940, there was just one in 2010. Mm, that's so sad. Um, so, yeah, it's kind of good that, that people are paying that much for them. Um, and in actual fact, that people are sort of throwing them back now because of the the, the scarcity is becoming quite a problem. So um, maybe we should be eating more future tuna and less bluefin tuna and emptying out our oceans of a pretty amazing creature. So that's tuna. Um, so just a reminder that you can vote for whose facts or stories you found most interesting on our Instagram account, Ingridopedia. We'll put a little poll up um, a week or so after this episode comes out and you can vote. And you, you put up, you're putting up a little tiktok uh, Yep, about my jelly. Yep, I am. So this episode, I spoke about tuna casserole, I spoke about the Hobbs Bizet from Mortadelli, and I spoke about bluefin tuna being very valuable and very endangered. And I made a delicious 1962 recipe, Ring Around the Tuna. <laughs> Looked into the Subway Wars, the Subway Tuna Wars, and then tasted Future Tuna, the vegan version of tuna. Thanks for listening. We'll talk soon. <laughs>